Hello, and welcome back to another bite-sized episode of 40 Minute Mentor. I really hope you've been enjoying this series so far and this new format of bite-sized mentorship on a Monday. What's been your favorite episode so far? Myself and Hannah, our producer, would love to hear what you think. So please feel free to send us an email with your thoughts at info at jbmc.co.uk. And if you also are happy to leave us a review, if you haven't already, we would be hugely grateful. Not only does it help us spread mentorship far and wide, but it also leaves me and the team feeling very warm and fuzzy inside. But enough about that, as it's World Book Day this Friday, we thought we'd look back on some of our favourite 40-minute mentor author episodes. Today we're featuring mentorship from Helen Tupper, Elizabeth Uwe Benene, Dr. Anne-Marie Imaphrodon, Mo Gaudat and Rebecca Seal. An amazing crop of mentors who all came on the podcast to chat to us about their journeys as authors and the brilliant books that they've written. There are also some other 40-minute mentors who have written best-selling books since coming on the podcast. Those include The Green Startup by Juliet Davenport, How to Be a Founder by Elizabeth Bentink, World Class by Will Greenwood, and How to Win by Sir Clive Woodward. We have left links to all of those books in the show notes if you're interested. But now, on to some mentorship. So when Yomi and I were pitching agents, as you do when you have a book idea back in, what, I think 2015 now, we sent it to one agent who we thought would be perfect because she had represented women who were writing around the topic of feminism and things like that. And at that time, that wasn't a lot of authors. That was quite niche, um, surprisingly. So we thought, that's great. She's our agent. Like she's going to totally get what we're doing the same lane. Like she's going to get it. And we sent her our proposal of a sample chapter, waiting to hear back eagerly. And she turned us down essentially. And she said that the writing wasn't very good and she could, you know, could do with some work. And she took a dig at our proposal. And our proposal wasn't your typical publishing proposal. So it wasn't on the word doc with just, you know, basic, this is what the book is, like as they kind of, as the formula suggests that you should do. It was a InDesign file that had compressed PDF. It had pictures of like Beyonce because the Mene just came out that time. It was very eclectic and it was very bold and it was very different. And it was like, this is the sort of colour palette we're going for for the book. This is the sort of thing. It was very energetic and it was amazing. Looking back, it was ahead of its time. And she said, well, I think that you have to realise that a lot of publishers will want to have a say about how this whole thing is going to look like. It's not just it's not just up to you. And I remember that really annoyed me. And it was a setback because we had kind of seen her as one of the few people that would understand it and, and totally get it. And when it didn't happen, it knocked us back temporarily because we were like, oh, maybe this isn't as big as we think it could be. Or this isn't as... Like what? Like we kind of had that. I would say probably like five minutes internal crises, and then I remember walking through Tesco's after work, and I was on the phone to you, and we were talking about it. And I said to her, "I was like, nah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, no, we have to stick to what we're doing." And that, and and we both kind of agreed that she doesn't know what she's talking about. And look at how everything turned out. And I think that my lesson from that is not everybody will understand, but sometimes it's not your job to tell someone and convince people it's to show them. The book is a biggie. It was released on the 8th of September, which is a, a, an interesting date, I guess, to, to have chosen in the last however many decades that any kind of news happening in the world. I think folks will remember what, 
what else happened on the 8th of September. But it's a, a look at past, present and future, really, of tech, the tech industry and STEM itself, but uh, you know, even more so women in tech, which is the, the she in the title. It is, as you said, called She's in Control, but the control is the CTRL as per the keyboard. But yeah, really excited to have been able to put this together and release it out to the world, release it out to the wild and being able to kind of help folks really on that technical journey help them step into their own technical prowess, help them, you know, gain some agency back from digital literacy and share some really practical tips and tricks and activities for folks to do on that journey. Two years into my career at Google X, sadly, I lost my wonderful son. And Ali was everything to me, to be honest. I mean, he was my son, my best friend. He was uh, my coach in many, many, many ways. I mean, this young man, was so wise. He was so wise. He taught me so much. And when he was 16, I remember I used to think to myself, when I grow older, I want to be like Ali. And so this pillar in my life leaves us. He was 21 and a half at the time. He leaves the world due to medical malfunction, a very simple surgical operation. He had an appendix inflammation and the surgeon did five mistakes in a row. Four hours later, we lose Ali. And, uh, and I find myself in that sort of moment of truth, if you want. And, and in that moment of truth, I had to make a choice of, so what happens now? Do I hit my head against the wall for 27 years and then on his deathbed, he's still not going to be back? On my deathbed, he's still not going to be back? Or do I try to do something with this? And, and so it hit me very strongly on day four uh, after he left that I should probably quickly document what he taught me. What we developed together, so we were a very good team on the topic of happiness because I'm the engineer with the mathematics and rigor, if you want, and he was the heart that knew everything in instinctively. And so 17 days after he died, I found myself writing. I, I wrote nonstop. I actually wrote 600 pages about the topic of happiness in four and a half months. And then, of course, the editors and the publishers, you know, wanted it to be a little more manageable. So we reduced it to like 365 or something. But basically, uh, Solve for Happy was an engineer's view of happiness. And I wrote the book with two intentions. One is for me to document what I learned from my guru, if you want. Uh, and for the second was to spread his message at the time to a target of 10 million people. I chose 10 million as you know, an ambition to say, if I could get his message to 10 million people through six degrees of separation in 200 years, Ali will be everywhere and part of everyone, which was his dream, really, uh, that he told his sister before he left our planet, that, that he was everywhere and part of everyone. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote, and then something happened uh, that's bigger than marketing and bigger than, uh, you know, all the knowledge I knew at Google to spread the message a few things happened and six weeks into uh, the launch of the book, my message became viral, reached 110 million people in the first eight weeks. And, uh, and so I found myself questioning uh, if I should continue to create more artificial intelligence and more robotics and more uh, technology, which I've done for 25 years of my life, or if there is something more important. And so as a small team, uh, we were five at the time, one billion happy became a reality. Uh, we, we decided we will grow the, the target from 10 million happy at the time to one billion happy. When we, when we published the book, we did a Guardian 
live event and we had like, Dawn Butler on one side and Afro Hirsch on the other side interviewing us and talking to us about Slaying Lane and the impact of it. And I remember in the room, there was like 300 people. And I remember before that, I was, me and Yomi were saying that we didn't want to play to an empty crowd. We we're making jokes. We were like, oh yeah, Guardian event, that's great. But who are we? No one's going to come to this event. We had such fear that we didn't want to play to an empty crowd. So the fact that a week after the book came out, back in 2018, we walked out to 300 black women and black men as well. That was humbling. And I think that's when it dawned on me that this thing was going to be bigger than ourselves. I think writing solo, which was my first long form book, as it were, rather than recipe books, which is what I've always done before, was probably the biggest single challenge of my career to date. And I look at it now and I flick through it sometimes and I cannot believe that I wrote it. Like I almost don't remember writing it because it's so, it's it's like a proper thing. And it's that's kind of extraordinary. It's like, how did that, where did that come from? And I, I found that, yeah, the hardest, definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done. I mean, individual struggles are different. I guess there are pieces that I've worked on, newspaper articles in particular, where the standard that you're trying to hit is incredibly high because you know the other people, the other writers who are being used, and you know that they're kind of turning in stuff of incredibly high quality. And then I also was the person to whom that stuff was turned into when I worked at the newspaper myself. So there's a kind of, I don't know, a bit of an imposter syndrome situation. So I can sometimes get myself tied in knots about things, particularly if they're quite scientific issues that I'm talking about. I'm terrified of making mistakes and the fact-checking process after you submit something can be quite intense. So I've definitely had moments where I'm like lying awake in the middle of the night thinking, oh my God, it's getting published (laughs) tomorrow. There were definitely, you know, a couple of weeks during that writing process where I had to be like, hey folks, I'm going to be offline because I need to just, you know, bed down. I need to, you know, plan this out or I need to think about, you know, the flow and the narrative and the order or I need to be interviewing folks. So there were a couple of kind of peaks I'd say, of activity alongside some troughs. But, you know, I did it alongside everything else. You know me from last time. I like to have my fingers in lots of different pies and be doing lots of things at, at the same time. And so it definitely was just another thing that kind of slotted in alongside it. I think at one point it was like every Tuesday morning and Thursday afternoon was like book time. It was like deep focus time where it's like everything switched off and I just have to, you know, sit in the room and talk to myself as I try and pull the book together. So I think, I think for me, that was what the experience was. I, I think the... Things that maybe have been the most surprising, I think there's definitely something of, you know, everyone says from the beginning, everyone said from the beginning, you know, whatever you write first, they're going to edit. It's not going to be what's there at the end. And I think the gap and the difference and the distance and the delta between what I submitted, I have to say early, what I submitted a week or two early, and what is now been printed, it's so different. I mean, my publisher, my editor kind of completely cut and chopped and changed and you know, it's one of those things where, I, you know, I, I, I'm a bit of a funny person, right? And so I'd, you know, written jokes in and normally you need the punchline at the end rather than at the beginning. And so there was some chopping and changing that meant that the punchline came first. And it was like, no, this is going to slightly ruin the whole joke. And now we have to remove the joke. And, you know, the book's not as funny as I am. But I think for me, you know, that was really surprising just to see how someone else had organized my thoughts and could organize my thoughts for something like a book. But I think my advice really would be, you know, make sure that you have A, got the time to write it, but B, got the time to talk about it. And I think this is something I'm still learning. And it's a two-book deal, so there will be a second book. But 
you know, that you spend as much time writing the book. In fact, you'd probably spend more talking about the book and making sure that people are able to benefit from it. And so that's definitely been something that's been a learning that it's not just about the book, but it's about, you know, what are you able to do with it? And what effort can you do to ensuring that it's useful for people, right? And it's in the hands of the people that will find it useful. You have to put quite a lot of effort into doing the book proposal. It's maybe a quarter of a book or a fifth of a book sometimes to to do it. So that can be quite galling. Yeah, you can always learn from it. But even if you're only learning what the market wants (laughs) and how it isn't true. true. You can go on the internet and look at so many different tips and hints about how to get a book deal or what to write and all that sort of stuff. But and everyone's very, it's very different for everyone. But I would say that my universal advice to anyone who is a writer or wants to write anything doesn't have to be, we're all writers, like we, have, we write every single day. So anybody who wants to write a piece of work, such as a book or, or anything like that, my number one universal advice is write what you know. We started the podcast in 2017 because we'd recognized that confidence is a big challenge that's holding people back. And we wanted to write a little ebook to help people. We were like, we can't just do these sessions in London, but we need to help people who aren't in London. <laughs> who knew? And so we wrote this ebook on how to cage your confidence gremlins. And we'd identified the, the 10 most common confidence gremlins, like the one around failure, uh, like senior people, not being liked, being found out. They're some of the most common gremlins that we kind of help people with. And we thought, well, let's do a podcast. We've got the book, we've got the ebook, so we can get that out to people. And then let's do a podcast so that, you know, we can reach more people that way. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I hope today's episode will have added a couple of new books to your to be read list. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. And I look forward to seeing you again on Wednesday for more pocket sized career mentorship. If you're looking to build your employer brand and attract some of the sharpest talent in the startup and scale-up space, or perhaps if you want to get your brand in front of some of the leading startup founders, investors, and operators in the market, then make sure you get in touch with our head of marketing, Hannah, to find out more about partnership opportunities with 40 Minute Mentor. She can be reached on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. I hope you have a fantastic week and we look forward to seeing you again this Wednesday for more mentorship.